Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And today I have a true legend on the podcast. When this man tweets, the whole internet stops. When he posts on LinkedIn, people gather around their computers and they read and they consume because they want to know what is the wisdom that Drew Sanaki is laying sure, out today. I'm not sure and about so. that, but <laughs> my LinkedIn account was down for a week. And yeah. so, the wor- but the world continued. <laughs> like, the world kept on trucking. Yeah. Uh, but, but seriously, like I love, I love your post. You're one of my favorite follows on social media. We go way back. We met now, like, man, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago uh, through one of uh, Ezra Firestone's events. Uh, but Drew Sadaki, co-founder, co-CEO of PostPilot, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit. I am a full disclosure. I'm an investor in PostPilot. I believe in it. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but Drew, you've got this amazing perspective. One, you're the you're the first guy that I learned the details of private equity from, and so I'll always thank you for that. That was a great education. Uh, but you you got the, this rich history. You've owned uh, multiple e-commerce brands. You helped turn around. I think it's five, eight or nine figure e-commerce brands from struggling to profitable. And so. Uh, yeah, man, I'm just I'm excited to talk to you about how to grow e-commerce, how to turn things around. I think your your wisdom and your insight is extremely valuable right now. And so, yeah, man, welcome to the show. And and how's it going? It's it's great to be here. I think all that stuff is just because I'm old. You could just sum that up <laughs> by saying he's old. He's, he's been here. He's yeah. done stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is that is awesome. Which which also we you know mutual friend, close friend for both of us, Ezra Firestone. You also had a great an epic video where you kind of poked fun at Ezra just a little bit in all his awesomeness. Is that published anywhere? Or has that been no, sworn thankfully. to uh, keep? Yeah, the okay. one with where I had my shirt off through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. no, that hasn't been published. That was anywhere. not going to see the light of day. Yeah, Got it. Well, well, just everybody can take my word for it. It's hilarious. <laughs> Ezra loved it too. Uh, so so really really good. Um, so yeah, man. So so tell us a little bit about Postpilot, and then we're gonna dive into three big ways to grow e-commerce. We're gonna talk a little about CVO, and if you don't know what CVO is, you're about to learn. I want to want to dive into some of your turnaround stories as well. But but first, what is what is Postpilot, and why are you so excited to be you know running the show there? Yeah, Postpilot is uh, a direct mail platform for e-commerce. So our our goal is to make direct mail a viable channel, a viable, profitable channel for a lot of brands, D2C brands. And it's working, which is is great. We started it maybe five years ago, and I think it really just kicked into overdrive in 21 when a lot of brands had trouble with Facebook. iOS came out, and I think marketers kind of realized they needed to diversify you know, they couldn't be reliant on one channel anymore. They needed to kind of hedge their bets and have multiple things working. And and Postpilot was was sort of there and ready to ready to welcome them with open arms into direct mail. Yeah, I, I love it. And and I, I'm a bit old school myself. So pre Google ads, pre OMG, you know, we we did some some direct mail. I did a lot of TV radio as well. But I've always loved direct mail because it's that really personal one-on-one communication, you know, it feels like that if you can get someone to actually open the mail and pay attention and read it and stuff. But what's so cool is like when I was first doing direct mail back in the early 2000s, you would go to your mailbox and that thing was crammed full of marketing mail, aka junk mail. But but now 
I go to my mailbox, I get stuff out, and there's like two or three things. So if there's a postcard there from Postpilot from one of my favorite brands or from a brand I've never heard of, I pay attention to it, right? Yeah, and there's so- a lot of stats around direct mail. It's like 90% of it gets read as opposed to whatever email the open rates are. Yeah, yeah maybe, you know, maybe it's 50%. Yeah, maybe as you're really, really good and an engaged list is 50%, but the averages are like 20-some, yeah. Yeah, so people open it. It's not as competitive. I mean, most people, when you say direct mail, they say, oh, it's like junk mail. I just throw it away. But, you know, the, the data suggests it's not the case. You know, people open it. It sits around. They throw it on their coffee table. They give it to other people in the household. It's a channel that's... um it's really 100 years old. It's worked for 100 years. It pioneered a lot of the segmentation and targeting approaches that we now yes, use on yes. Facebook and on email, specifically around recency and frequency of purchase. But um, it's I, it's never been user-friendly, right? Like two, in 2000, I sent my first direct mail campaign at a furniture brand I was running. And it was like, you had to download a list from your cart and find a printer and then talk about paper and negotiate that and then print it. And then attribution was kind of like, try to back into attribution and, and did the campaign work. And it was really, that was the genesis of Postpilot, like that poor user experience. Like how do we make it as friendly as running a Facebook ad campaign or sending an email? Yeah, it, it is so true, right? Like, like some of the early pioneers of, of list building and the way you could buy lists of people that have purchased other products or, you know, uh, like uh, is it Equifax and some of these other, you know, ratings agencies and stuff like that. The ability to find direct mail lists, like that started first, but now some of that, you know, powers the targeting that's available on Facebook or Google or, or other places. So uh, yeah, it was definitely a precursor, but you're right, always difficult. Uh, but Postpilot has made that easy. So really automa- automating direct mail so it's as easy as your email in Klaviyo. And uh, yeah, it's just, I, I hear nothing but good from uh, the customers that I know yeah, that, that use it. Yeah, it works. I mean, it's not, it's rare that it'll be your your top channel. And there's certainly a right, couple brands right. out there where it's number one. But I think we've done our job if it's like in the toolkit for most marketers, you know, totally. it's in your top top five it's like you got yep. seo you got email you got paid you got direct mail and they're all cranking for you yeah. the app started with kind of, with kind of this use case on retention so it's a it's a unique channel and that on on the retention side direct mail is email like think of it the same way you've got the address you are extending anything that works in email to a bigger audience because it's sort of a surprise comes as a surprise to a lot of brands. Not everybody subscribed to the list. Like not every one of your previous buyers is subscribed. Totally. So you, if you see something working in email, you just extend it to those who are not subscribed or have unsubscribed. And on the acquisition side, it's a little bit more like Facebook, where you you get into the realm of look. You can do a lookalike. You know, you can look at your top performing customers. You can feed it into the algorithm at Postpilot, and you get uh, a high high predictive model audience that you can now prospect to. You can layer on direct mail attributes like household income and geography or whether they're a recent mover. And then you can do prospecting. So um, yeah, I mean, the apps, I think we've got a serious tailwind in the environment we are right now. And I'm the first to say we're sort of lucky, right? We're right product, right time, where acquisitions just become so 
expensive through every other channel, you know, that it, it, due to the end of third-party cookies or even just like increased competition that um, it's made direct mail a lot more appealing. Totally, yeah, increased competition. And, and as privacy changes, you know, move the needle a little bit, you know, iOS 17 is coming out before long, which uh, there's going to be some link tracking that's going away. Just you know, things are going to get harder and harder, I think, in some ways online. And But I love the way you frame that, right? Direct mail, probably not going to be your number one new customer acquisition channel, but maybe it could be top five. And and probably your competitors aren't using it. Other people in your space are not using it, but you can. And I do like that approach of starting with retention and remarketing and then moving uh, upper funnel a little bit as you go, which which is awesome. So uh, wanna wanna circle back to direct mail a little bit, you know, kind of as we as we wrap up in, in a few. But I want to get into you. You had a post not long ago on, on LinkedIn, and it was an amazing post. It brought me back to my early days of marketing. I, I've always been a Jay Abraham fan. Like I, I, I listened to this is gonna date me, but but maybe uh, not totally accurately. So I had a bunch of Jay Abraham cassette tapes. Yeah, but same. I I listened. I listened when cassette tapes were kind of dated, but I got it from my uncle. But dude, I listened to those. I wore those things out, man. I listen to them all the time. But he talks about three ways to grow a business. There's really only three ways to grow a business, and that applies to D2C brands as well. So I want to kind of break this down. But what are those three ways, and what's kind of your take on that? Yeah, probably like you. I, I ordered the Jay Abraham tapes, and I was at the time struggling to grow my first brand, Design Public, Furniture Retailer. And there's so much you can focus on as a marketer. You know, there's a zillion things. And whatever tape I put in, he he said, you know, there are three. There's really only three things that drive the top line. And it's acquire more customers, um, get them to purchase more. So AOV, right? Increase the AOV. And then get them to buy longer. So retention, right? Like get them to purchase more per customer. LTV, retention. Yeah. Yeah. One, two, three. Number of customers, AOV, and F, which is frequency of purchase or number of purchases per customer. And it was sort of eye-opening to me. There's there's power in that in a couple of different ways. The first is you you realize to double your business, you don't have to double any one thing. I think like a, a Facebook marketer is like, I need twice the customers. I need twice the conversions. But that's not the case. Like you need only 30% more in each of those three, and the results multiply, you're going to double the business. And it's like, can I double? Can I double my acquisition efforts this this quarter? That's a tall ask, but it's a big ask. Yeah, yeah. but could I increase it by thirty percent and increase AOV thirty percent and retention thirty percent? Maybe. And then and then the results just kind of flow through. Um, so that's the first thing that was interesting. The second yeah. thing is, and, and even even looking like looking at smaller lifts, right? And I think this math is right. Even if you look at a ten percent increase, so what if I just got ten percent better at new customer acquisition? What if I just raised my AOV by ten percent? What if I just in, increase the LTV or the frequency by ten percent? That's like a thirty-three percent lift, I believe. Uh, and so, like even little improvements in each of those areas can can have a, a really nice impact, and it makes it seem more doable, more approachable, rather than. I've got a million things to do. How do I decide? Yeah. And the other thing is, I think most people, most brands just go for number one. They just go yeah, to increase. Yeah, just new customers. And, yeah. and the problem is that's expensive. It's the most expensive and lever. And only getting more expensive, right? That Your CPAs right. are not going to go down, right? We do a lot with Google and YouTube. 
CPMs don't go down from year to year, right? Same with Facebook ads. CPMs are not going down over time. They're going up. So new customer acquisitions going up as well. Optimize what you have before you multiply. Yeah. Ramit Sethi yeah. always says that. You got to optimize before you multiply. You mm, optimize. optimize before you multiply. I like that. Yeah. And he also another guy who studied under Jay Abraham, but like optimize AOV. You know, you get your upsells, your cross sells, you get your uh, your shipping fees, like what everything you need to do to sort of hack AOV. Um, incentives to add into the basket. You get that done. Easy to control, cheap to do. You move on to the third one, retention, your win back campaigns, your second purchase campaigns, whatever you're about, like get all that squared away. And then when you turn to retention, the ROIs are going to be better because you've built this net, right, around your customer base. So every dollar you now spend on acquisition is going to have more of a return. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. And what's also what's also about about both, you know, raising AOV and improving LTV or improving F, you know, frequency, is that 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 allows you to spend more money in customer acquisition, right? And one one of the one of my other favorite quotes from Dan Kennedy, also kind of a a godfather, so to speak, of modern marketing. Uh, he talks about you know the person that can spend the most to acquire a new customer wins, right? Not the person that can spend the least because that that's not a that's not a winning formula long term. But the person that can afford to spend the most wins because costs are going up. But if you get a better AOV, better LTV, you can invest more uh, to acquire a customer, which yeah, is pretty 100%. awesome. Yeah. So when we talk about turning around businesses, that's part of the, every fund wants a 30, 60, 90. They want to know like, yeah, there's a five-year plan to turn around the business, but what are you going to do for me in the first 90 days? Because every investor in those funds they, you know, these are humans. They want to see the results. They want to see like, okay, this investment is working, right? These guys got this thing or or this team got this thing cash flowing early. So it's like part of my 30, 60, 90, whenever I take over a business is like tackle those bottom two rungs first. Like let's optimize AOV and frequency right out of the gates. Usually in month one, month two, we can start overhauling acquisition. What what are some of the things you you go in and do relatively quickly to improve AOV? I think that's I mean that's low hanging fruit stuff. It's like yeah. uh, increase your free shipping threshold, or um, you know you just want to create more incentives to add more products to the cart, so that could be a higher free shipping th- threshold. You could have discounts if you add multiple items together. You know, like promos to get the AOV up. Bundles and such. Yeah. I mean, probably the, the, the quickest and easy one that private equity loves is just- Raise increase, prices. Yes. Increase your <laughs> prices. I feel yeah. like most entrepreneurs chronically sort of underprice their offering and, you know, they, they underestimate how inelastic the demand is so they could just increase yeah, the price. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's something that a lot of people are scared of and, and obviously you should be thoughtful about this and then maybe test it and, and, and you know, don't just do it blindly, but- you know, sometimes even like a 10% increase in price can have a massive impact on on profits, right? So say you say you got a 40% margin and you increase price by 10%, that's what like a 25% lift in, if I think you did the math right, it's a big, it's a big lift in profits, like 25% lift in profits. And so um, those little, and, and now in the current environment, everybody's used to price increases. It, it, it won't, it probably won't phase your core customers 
And so, yeah, that's that's an easy thing to do. And yep, PE groups love love good margins, but you know, we all we all do. We all should. Overtone is the uh, is the hair care brand that we turned around most recently. Yeah. You're you're involved with that one. Yeah, and the OMG team, and and I don't know if you remember Brett. Like when we acquired that, that was what we did in the first month. Was like, yeah, we just jammed through a price increase. Totally, and, um, it worked. Like it it didn't slow things did down not, at all. No, conversion rates did not drop. Uh, revenue went up. It was it was perfect. So yeah, yeah it worked. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, consider raising prices. Simple, often effective, and. Probably never been a better time to do that than now. In in uh, most cases, yep. what about what about improving frequency or improving LTV? And probably there's a tie into post pilot here uh, as well. But but how do we increase frequency? Yeah, I mean, I think there you just uh, there's a lot of ways. You're talking about increasing retention. So it's retention is two things. It's keeping people buying longer over time, or you can you can go for more velocity within the same period of time, or both. Right, so it's it's a little nuanced. Um, it's often rare to increase the the rate that people buy. It's usually more often you can increase the the time over which yeah. they buy. It's hard to get someone to use more hair color, right? Or yeah, to use more, yeah. I mean, use it depends on the product. Cream. How do I use right. more skin cream? When you yeah, run out, you me. run out. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so the first things we do there are just, you know, everybody should have a second purchase campaign. It's like if you look at the numbers, most businesses in e-commerce, in direct consumer, lose money on the first purchase, right? I mean, Casper shows us this on a public level. They've been doing it for a long time, but the key is like you need people to buy multiple times because cost of acquisition is so high. So that first purchase is rarely profitable. Certainly there are exceptions. Um, it just behooves all the businesses to get a second purchase, right? We got to get that second or third purchase. So let's engineer it. You know, you look at your data, what do people typically buy? When they buy the pillow, do they buy the bedspread next? When they buy the khakis, do they buy the, you know, the button down? It That, that answer lives buy in your- Buy the skin cream, now buy the mascara. Yeah. yeah buy buy the, the blue hair color, you're probably going to try green as well. You know? That data is in your, in your transactional data, right? You look at your history, you see it, you talk to your customer support people, like that answer's there, and then just build it into your marketing programs, like- if somebody buys, they are going to get the email, the direct mail campaign, the Facebook retargeting campaign, whatever, for that second product. Google Display, know? Google YouTube, let's not forget Google. Let's uh, not forget future. it. Yeah. I mean, it should all be synced, <laughs> yeah. right? I totally. mean, these are just yep. like delivery channels for, for one message. Um, another way is to, you know, you look at, there's a kind of an advanced na name for it called intra-purchase latency, which is like, how often does it take for my first customer to come back and buy again? Dude, um, that's such a fancy word. It's a very fancy word. Latency. Uh, we, yeah. In the Navy, we used to say, you know, you were a 50 pound head if you used a word like that, <laughs> which is just like a, a smart 50 pound person. head word for yeah. sure. Yeah. Some yeah. big dude with like a yeah. massive yeah. cranium. But, um, yeah, you want to figure this out. What's the average I'm going to time? start asking everybody now that I meet, like, what's what's your interpurchase latency yeah. for what, your what's, products? What's the average time between purchases? Yeah, yeah. Um, small, small ad here. If you add Postpilot to your Shopify app, we will tell you in the app. Like, without, you're not paying in for us for yeah. anything. It's just, you'll get the report with it's yours. awesome. Yep. Because Shopify doesn't tell you out of the box. But, you know, say, say it's 30 days. Customers typically buy on day, 
you know, on day one and day 30. They, if they're going to come back, they buy on day 30. So another big mistake I see brands making is they immediately go discount and promo after that first purchase. But if you look at the data, you got to assume that that customer is likely to come back for anything less than 30 days. They are still likely to come back and buy at full margin. Right. So general rule of thumb for the first 30 days after purchase, only show other related products that they're likely to buy at full margin. Like this is now a shopper who only knows probably one or two of your product categories that they acquired, that they came in under. Show them what else you got and show it at full margin because she's likely to buy at full margin. It's only after that day 30 that she's becoming less and less likely to ever come back. And that's when you can get promotional. That's when you can have a discount ladder, which is you know, you start giving 10, 20, 30% off over time uh, because she's on her way out, right? So it's just a great way to conserve promotional dollars and at the same time encourage that second purchase. And I think it is really important. Like we do train our customers to to perceive us a certain way. And there, there's a certain apparel brand that I bought. It's actually, there's two, I'm going to com- contrast two apparel brands. They're actually quite similar, uh, men's fashion. One, I get a promotional, big, huge discount text like multiple times a week, plus a promotional email. Uh, ads are all like save, 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 big discount. And I really get tired of it. I kind of ignore it. And But there's another brand, similar products, a little more premium, and uh, they don't really do that. They just, they're just they talking about products, talking about new color drops, they're talking about new launches. And it is interesting. My perception, even as a marketer, even though I understand all this stuff, my perception of one is very different than the other. And I think we train customers if we're if we're too promotional heavy that I'm never going to buy a full retail now because I know why would I like I, I would feel irresponsible if I bought a full retail with that first merchant because I know there's a discount coming at some point. Yeah, and I would say that's another when we talk about turnarounds. Most of the turnarounds I've been involved with all have that in common. Yeah, there's this death spiral where revenue starts going down, and to counteract it they're discounting and they're discounting to the whole list. You know, auto anything, Carmeloop would have lists of 5 million email recipients who got the same discount every day. And it was just like, spin the wheel, what's the discount going to be? And it's really a race to the bottom, you know, because you just see that discount line getting bigger and bigger and the financials, the margin gets smaller and smaller. And you get addicted to the results from the sale, but then the next sale isn't yeah. quite as good. So you got to go deeper with the discount. Yeah, just... And I would say in database marketing, there's this other sort of rule of thumb, which is like when you acquire a customer on a discount, he or she is is likely to buy on a discount, is, is only going to buy on a discount again. Like you brought, you just brought in a discount shopper. Right. So um, keep that in mind. You know, so when we acquired Karma Loop or acquired Auto Anything, I had to set the expectation with the investors like, it's going to take a year to turn over our customer base. Yeah. Because the customers that are in there right now, they are used to buying on discount and you can't just turn it off like, like JCPenney was another very public example. You can't turn it off overnight. Like they're in there. You either got to make the decision that we're going to, okay, now we're going to be a discount brand. It's going to be part of who we are, or it's going to take a year of weaning, you know, of basically turning over your customer database, right? And replenishing the customers with a new group that's going to buy on something other than discount. Yeah, it's so good. And and I think you even shared a stat uh, that that I saw where uh, likely the, the AOV or the amount you purchase goes down over time, right? So whatever you bought at to begin with, 
it's pretty common, right, for your second, third purchases to be less than that on average. And so if they came in at a discount, they're going to, the next few purchases are going to be at a discount as well. And, and that, I think that is one of the fallacies. And I remember, you know, that this was like the pitch for Groupon way back in the day. I used to do some, some TV and radio advertising. I always hear the, the Groupon people pitching like, Hey, yeah, you'll get them, you'll get them for free here. But that second and third purchase can be full price. So it's like, nah, yeah, this, 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 this kind of how it works. Yeah. You know, in the, in D to C, you see everybody who loves the, uh, the spin the wheel promos. I'm yeah. gonna, piss, I'm gonna yeah. piss off every spin the wheel. I was just talking about that provider. with the UX guy earlier today. Like, I yeah, I hate those things. If they work, great. But I, as a shopper, hate them. Yeah. Well, you you throw one up, and of course, like, wow, we got, you know, everybody's now signing up for our list and spinning the wheel. But you, yeah, you know, it's just like, okay, I'll give everybody twenty percent off if you sign up for my list, and of course, they're gonna sign up for my list. But it's, um, it's again, you're attracting a. A different kind of customer when you do that. So just yep. look I, at I the love long the, term. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show. I can't remember the, where I heard this, but the way you bring them in is the way they behave. Yeah. Right? So the way you bring the customer in is the way they behave over the long haul. So you got to be mindful of that. Uh, so you've kind of talked about a couple of these now. I want to kind of hear maybe about a few others or go deeper on these. You mentioned auto anything, which, which you know, is pretty closely connected with you, kind of paying attention to that. As that happened, Karma Loop, you talked about that. But but yeah, what were a few of these turnaround stories and, and are there any details you can share on, on how that went? I don't know. It's... Uh... I mean, I'm happy to share details. They're they're hard turning around. I didn't set Dude, out to be yeah. a turnaround artist, <laughs> you know. But I look back at my career. It's kind of like saving a sinking ship, right? There's probably just always a problem popping up. You solve it, one problem, there's 15 more that you just discover or whatever. Yeah, and it's you're not you're never working on the sexiest business. They're always busted. They've got legacy IT stacks. That I mean, that's another. 30, 60, 90 thing. They're all operating typically or overspending on IT. Yeah. Because it's all custom. You know, now we're in this world where you go off the shelf. You just implement Shopify and Clavio and Postpilot, right? You don't have to pay to right, for right. a dev team totally. to operate those things. Yeah. Things. Self-hosted and stuff. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't need that typically. Yes. I mean, Overtone too had a had sort of a a clunky headless Shopify integration that cost a hell of a lot more than just Shopify. So um in every case it's like simplify the IT. Um, get back to the the three the three multipliers on the revenue side. And there's like the team and culture part about like you know, just getting revamping the team and getting a team in place that can really execute. Um, a lot around OKRs and EOS, which I know a lot of listeners. Yeah, use. yeah, yeah. I lo- love both of those. Lo- love love EOS. Uh, Gino Wickman. Love OKRs. I love the the book by John Doerr, Measure What Matters. But but talk about that. How, how do you view OKRs and how, how do you how do you use them? Um, in 
And maybe explain what that is for people that don't know. Yeah, OKRs are objectives and key results. They are just uh, a way to essentially, like it's management by objective. You're giving a team as a whole an, an objective for the quarter or for the year. And then you distill that down into key results that if you accomplish these three or four key results, you will accomplish the objective. You know, if I if my objective is, is to win the Super Bowl, I want, you know, a top rated offense, a top rated, you know, defense, special teams, yeah. whatever. The offensive line, defensive line, I need a yeah, you can measure quarterback and the receiving core. I need a, yeah, exactly. I need and, the right the coaching ideas, staff. Yeah, the idea is with OKRs is it cascades down throughout the org. So everybody on every team can come up with their own OKR that supports their team's OKR, which supports their department's OKR, which just supports the companies. And I have found in all these turnarounds, surprise, surprise, I mean, they discount too much, they have legacy IT, and their team and culture is just a wreck, right? There's no culture often. And they've just often had an environment where management didn't tell them much about what was going on. Everybody's in the dark. Um, and so it's very eye-opening to and empowering, I think, to come in with some goals. Like, this is yeah. what we're going to do in Q1. And uh, this is how everybody's job is going to contribute to that. Yeah. Um, and you instantly have some accountability within the team. And I'm, and I'm I'm sure for the right team members, the right team members that, that were there before when the culture was broken, when they get those OKRs and the clear communication and some transparency, the right the right players light up, right? And like that that's what they want. That's what they've been craving. There's probably also some people that are like, nah, I liked it the old way, right? But that's yeah. that's probably a good way to get them out the door because now they're no longer. A... It, it's definitely a forcing function, you know, and yeah. it's people self-select whether they want to be a part of it or not. And yeah. Uh, yeah. it's probably the most rewarding part of the of a turnaround for me is seeing those like gems, you know, who are out there on the team already and they've just been overlooked or, you know, disempowered. Yeah, they, they just weren't performing because the culture wasn't right or because the expectations weren't right or they weren't empowered or they didn't, they weren't given the tools. There were just all this wasted talent there. Yeah. But now they come alive with the right, with the right structure. I, yeah. I, I love that. I love that. Um, one thing we, we kind of talked about in the prep that we didn't get to here, although we've, we've circled around and, and touched on it a little bit, but, but uh, you use a term called CVO a decent amount, and I know we we've, we have touched on it some, but what is CVO and is there anything else we haven't covered that you consider in that process? Yeah, I think in e-com we're so, fo- for a long time we were focused on CRO, conversion rate optimization. Like we just got to yep. make the site convert, we got to A-B test everything, change colors, whatever. It's like focusing too much um you lose the forest for the trees, right? Like it's focusing too much on the micro. And the bigger thing you need to optimize is, is for customer lifetime value, which is the aggregate profits you make off of every customer over time. That's CVO. It's it's customer value optimization. It, it just means like taking a step back and you're optimizing your funnel, all of your marketing to maximize customer value. So it's kind of getting back to what we were talking about earlier. Like you may have a certain promotion or a certain ad or a certain keyword group or something that's that's driving conversions. But unless you're measuring the long-term impact of that on, on customer lifetime value, you might be optimizing for the wrong thing. Yeah. Right? You're optimizing for an ad that's certainly converting well, but oh, by the way, it's a 20% off ad. That's why it's converting so well doesn't yep. mean we should put all our dollars behind that. There's this other ad over here 
that's showing a full margin product that's also, you know, maybe the conversion rate's lower, but it's bringing in high quality customers who buy longer and it's contributing more to my bottom line. So that's kind of CVO in a nutshell. I love it. Yeah, because we can we can get a little bit duped uh, by CRO, right? I'm getting more conversions, more new customers, more this or that. But what if those customers aren't making me any money? What if what if that is a low quality customer, a customer that's not likely to return? And so looking at CVO, how how does like uh, uh, do cohort analysis? How, how does that how does that play into this, or does it? Yeah, I think there's a couple things you probably want to start recording if you're if you aren't, and it's typically like your attribution information is an obvious one. You know, people get hung up on attribution, but it is good to record, uh, say, last touch attribution for every order that comes in, first touch for every order that comes in. And then you, you can start doing some analysis and you'll start to see some differences like, hey, ad A brought in a very different kind of customer than ad B. You know, so source, I think, is a big one. Product first purchased is another one. You start to see a difference. Um, Bonobos sort of has this classic uh, case that's out there where, you know, the guys who came in and bought the suits first end up spending like $20,000 in their first year at Bonobos. Wow. And the, yeah. And the guys who came in and bought the swimsuits first spend $36 and, and they're done. <laughs> so I think that's another place you see the disparity in lifetime value is like that initial product purchased. So- just different ways to kind of cross cut your data and, and and help you think about lifetime value. And that makes a big difference. So what if I'm like, oh man, I, I've got, you know, a, a 0.5% conversion rate on my suit promotions and my suit ads, but I got a 2% conversion on my swimsuit ads. Right. But then when you look at it, you realize, but the suit customer is worth a thousand X. It doesn't matter, right? Then that, okay, convert, conversion rate is important. Like we still look at conversion rate. But it's an incomplete picture, right? It's just it's just a metric. It's not the metric. Whereas CVO is is arguably the most important thing you can do. Yeah, and for a while you you saw Bonobos did start putting the suits in the front of the store and doing things like like I don't know if they define themselves as a suiting brand, but it was yeah. going that direction. But then you'd have Suit Supply comes along and just says we're going to take that whole category and shopper yeah. away from you yeah. and kills it, right? So I think there's something to that is like building a business around your best customers. I call them totally. the, the whales. The whales, the, yeah, I love yeah. that. I heard, I heard that from you. I don't know anybody else who calls them that. I like that. Uh, I hear that maybe in like- market. Yeah. <laughs> your whales are your best customers. So yeah, identifying your whales, where where do they come from? What's the first product they purchase? Right. You know, what, what, what do they look like? Identify them and get more of them and treat them- don't treat them the same as all your other customers, right? They're whales, they're VIPs, treat them like a VIP. And the the reason why you want to do that is because it's a hell of a lot easier to grow your business. At yeah. the end of the day, we all want growth. And here's the, f the first eye-opening thing. And I've got some tutorial about this we could link to in the show notes, but it's convince yourself that you have different kinds of customers, that you have whales and minnows, that if you're like any other business I've ever seen, you probably have 20% of your customers drive 80% of the revenue and the profit, you know, and, and the reverse. The other 80% are one-time buyers who drop nothing to the bottom line. So you can convince yourself of that. You can do it with your Shopify data, with your Klaviyo data. You can do it with a spreadsheet. But once you're convinced, 
The next sort of eye-opening fact is that the cost of acquisition of a whale of a whale is often the same as the cost of acquisition for a minnow. So just by spending the same dollars, like if you were to reorient that spend and instead of bringing in eighty percent minnows, like what if you could, what if you could bring in a hundred percent whales or or even fifty yeah, percent yeah. whales? Right. Then yeah. you're growing, you know, with the same spend. So that's sort of eye opening to a lot of a lot of marketers. I love it. I love it. So so if you're doing these things, you're raising AOV, you're looking at LTV, you're maximizing customer value optimization. Now things can get a little more exciting at the uh, the, the customer acquisition side of things, especially if you know who to go after. Uh, but let's let's talk a little bit about then, and, and you you teased it a little bit earlier, but Postpilot using postcards for new customer acquisition. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I love new customer acquisition. I obviously do a lot with YouTube, one of the top spenders, do a lot with Google Ads and Pmax and Amazon and stuff. So love new customer acquisition, but I think, you know, postcard marketing for new customer acquisition, that's a channel probably most people aren't thinking about. So, so talk to us a little bit about that uh, new customer acquisition with postcards. Yeah, for a year or so, we were retention only. And we'd say, you know, we look at our, we have 5,000 brands using the platform. We'd bring up the data and say like the average retention campaign, five to 10, 10X ROAS. And it, people would yawn. They'd just be like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's nice. But what, you know, they all want acquisition. At the end of the day, everybody wants acquisition. So we knew we had to go there and we, uh, We've rolled it out. I mean, acquisition has been is a hundred years old, right? Acquisition in in direct mail, like that's how the catalog business worked. Um, there are data sets out there that you can pull from that allow you to drop an acquisition campaign. And I think the part that we play is trying to make that user friendly for all of us who are used to doing a lookalike on Facebook. It's the same process. Um, couple rules of thumb. Usually, you mentioned postcard acquisition. I would say usually when you do acquisition in direct mail, you want to present more of a selection um, because it does it is more costly than a Facebook ad, right? It costs yep. something to yes. send whatever it is, 40 cents, 72 cents, depending on the size you send out. But um, it's going to cost a little bit more to put it out there. So you want to make sure you present more products. More products to buy means higher conversion rates. And so we've got this uh, catalog format, which is a, a big, big trifold where you can really put the breadth of your your brand and offering on it. Um, it's why people have done catalogs in the past, but a lot of issues with catalogs. You know, they're expensive. They cost two hundred k for a drop. It takes six months to do it. You gotta you gotta do the photography. It's just like I I would experiment with it. On, on a smaller format card, like a like a trifold, like our catalog, um, spend a couple hundred hundred bucks, a couple thousand bucks, just testing into it. Um, play around with audience, just like Facebook. You know, you play around with audiences with with uh, with offers. Uh, eventually, when you have something that clicks, like increase the volume, and uh, you know it works. What are yeah? I really like that. Uh, and cardalog is, is this another? Is this another term you uh, are looking yeah, to trademark? Yeah, we trademark cardalogs. It's That's a awesome. big trifold. It's a big trifold. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. It, and, and you're just you're increasing the odds that I'm going to purchase. I think maybe in my mind, the only time you wouldn't want to do this is if like 
your business is essentially one core offer, like like say a meal, the meal service companies or whatever, you know, like uh, like a HelloFresh or something. It's essentially one offer. Maybe the number of yeah. meals is different or something. Maybe they wouldn't need it. But I think for most companies, catalog is going to be better because you increase the odds that someone's going to see the product that they that they want, uh, which makes a lot of sense. So so kind of and walk us through. I, sh- I yeah, should you, say before yeah, everybody do. before everybody asks me for a 10x ROAS on an acquisition campaign, <laughs> I think. Wait, wait, you mean you can't get a 10X ROAS? I can't ROAS? guarantee it, unfortunately. Yeah. I, it is, you know, it's retention campaigns are 5 to 10X ROAS. Totally. Like we, can, yeah. we feel very confident we could get anybody a return. Acquisi- you know, we do retargeting in the middle. Um, that's probably, uh, you know, maybe 3X average retargeting. So if somebody hits your site, doesn't drop an email or a physical address, we can retarget them with a postcard. It's called Site awesome. Match. It's pretty cool. And then uh, on the acquisition side, I'd say, you know, one and a half to three yep. times ROAS, which for some brands, they're thrilled at. There's some that do better than that. There's there's some that do worse, but maybe that's average. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. I think that, I mean, that's what you see to go on you know, top of funnel, Facebook, top of funnel, YouTube, like that. It's going to be a lower ROAS, but uh, one, there's going to be lift that's not measurable typically. It's going to feed the rest of the funnel and... You know, if you're doing CVO, then then maybe you can work with that, you know, 1.5 to 3x uh, ROAS there. So uh, talk to us a little bit about, I know, you, I know you mentioned you can run lookalike audiences, you generate lookalike audiences that are direct mail-based. What are some of the audience options and how can we find buyers? Like, can you find audiences of other people who've purchased from Shopify stores or people that have purchased from other stores like yours? What, what are some of the opportunities there? Yeah, that I think... What you might be talking about is a co-op where everybody sort of feeds their data into one pool and then you can mine it, right? We don't we don't offer that. What we're talking about is more you get you get a lookalike off your uh, off your best customers, and then um, you layer some sort of traditional direct mail attributes on top. And there are probably a thousand of these, but it's like shopped bought something at Walmart in the last three months, household income, you know, gender, um, owns a pet. Like there's a, you know, we've got a, we've got, uh, an attribute for new moms or someone who had a child within the last X months, w- which is great for, you know, baby brands. There's a new mover data sets, right. That we only want to target people who moved within the last week. Um, and that's great for furniture and mattresses and anybody who would, you know, be involved with like a move. So you can do some interesting things. You know, one of the applications we see a lot of is like a CPG brand that is launching in Target or launching in Whole Foods. And the way those launches work is they typically roll them out in a handful of stores as a test. And then it behooves that brand to increase store velocity so that they get rolled out nationwide. So those brands are leveraging their Shopify store, their data, and using our app to do a lookalike, and then they're layering, you know, shopped at Whole Foods in the last X months on top of that. And so they can essentially drive an, a new prospecting audience to buy, and to redeem and buy at store, at a brick and mortar store, um, to increase store velocity. Love that. So they, they meet your lookalike audience criteria. They've been to Whole Foods in the last three months and bought something. Now we're sending them a postcard to go to Whole Foods and buy the product. It's, it's really smart. We, we've done 
you know, similar campaigns, obviously different mechanisms, but as we've had CPG brands or food brands that are, that are in a Sprouts or a Whole Foods or a CVS or something like that, running targeted YouTube campaigns around those key markets, because right. yeah, if you can perform really well in a couple of key markets, now those buyers are like, okay, let's get you in every store. Let's really push this. But I love that direct mail angle. Super, super smart. And one thing we, we got to mention for anything top of funnel, there's always going to be like this halo effect, this lift, and maybe my favorite story, which I was a part of, uh, was I, I believe Andrew Udarian got one of your postcards or one of PostPod's postcards for heart and soil, uh, which is like beef organ supplement, which sounds gross. Uh, but as you look at the research, one of the most nut- nutrient rich foods, oh, like yeah. peptides, all it kinds of things. my liver. Anyway, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so Udarian gets a postcard. He posts about it on LinkedIn. And you guys comment on it, you're looking at it. I'm like, I, I like to experiment with health stuff. Uh, and I'm going through some pretty intense workouts right now. So I, I started reading and I'm like, I think I'm going to buy this. So, so I did. So I'm on a subscription now with <laughs> with the company. So Udarian got See, the but postcard. But we didn't get the attribution because You didn't get the you, attribution. You yeah, can tell them should. that, that it, was, it was because of the postcards why I'm now a subscriber and uh, and I'm enjoying it. So. I, was wor- I was worried about that acquisition campaign because I think- I love the guys at Heart and Soil. Yeah. I'm a consumer. They do fabulously well on retention. Uh, but then I'm thinking acquisition, like if if, if you cold email, you know, cold emailed or or did a Facebook ad for organ supplements. Well, some beef organs? like uh... Yeah. Like where is that actually going to resonate? Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, unlike, I don't know, a mattress, which everybody needs or, right, or right, exactly. food. In or general, or something not. plant-based, which is what everybody thinks about, you know. Yeah, like those, those are hot now and certainly yeah. apparel if I know that you're, you're gender and could do apparel. But um, yeah, that one, you know, I was surprised because I think Udarian wrote that whole piece without knowing or caring that it was post-pilot, you know. It, yeah. was, it yeah. was just like his take on direct mail, but it was an... It was something I was able to flip to the heart and soil guys and be like, "Hey, and they were like, Ooh, I love it." So yeah. here's the next, here's the next piece of that story, right? Uh, which is which is super funny. So, uh, Drew, this has been amazing, uh, super enlightening. If if someone is listening to this, you know, and they're like, "I gotta, I gotta have more Drew Snock in my life." Uh, follow Drew on LinkedIn. Follow him on Twitter. But did did I hear is 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 your podcast back? Is that true or yeah? Is that nerd a rumor? marketing's back. It's nerd back marketing is back. Arguably better than ever. Yeah, and that is that you and Michael Epstein together? Yeah, that's probably what makes it better. Is I have a co-host. <laughs> it's it's the Michael Epstein so effect. He's he's so making keep, it better. Keep so me focused, and yeah. yeah, we've got some good guests. We go, uh, we talk a lot about exits and and private equity backed businesses and how to sell. And I think we've just tried to elevate it a little bit, elevate the conversation. Cool. Um, so yep. so nerd marketing, check that out. Check Drew out on the socials. And then if someone's like, okay, I'm ready to think more, talk more about direct mail, uh, how can they learn more about PostPilot? Drew at PostPilot.com. Just shoot me an email. Happy to walk you through anything. Look at that. The personal email of Drew Sinatra. There you go. How how about that? That's awesome. Don't don't abuse it. Don't abuse it. Yeah, exactly. Don't try to sell him, you know, uh, organ pills. Oh, wait, because he already buys them. So he doesn't, yeah. Yeah, I'm good there. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Drew's been so much fun. Thanks for taking the time, and we'll have to do it again soon. This is awesome, Brett. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And as always, thank you for tuning in. I would love to hear from you. What would you like to hear more of on the show? If you've not left that review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, would love it if you did that. And hey, 
If you know somebody who would benefit from this content, please share it with them. I'd make my day and probably make their day as well. And so with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.